Well, today is, as we have, have, have shared and highlighted, Sunday of joy. We have looked at God's, the hope we have in God and through Jesus Christ, the hope we have of His return. We've looked at love, His love for us and the love that we are encouraged to have for one another, the love that God has given us. And, and, and these are progressional. You know, you have the hope of something coming, and so there was the hope of Jesus to come. And then when he shows up, when he arrives, that is God's love manifested to us. And the result of that love, the result of his coming, and, and even in each of our lives, the result of us finding Jesus, coming to the, 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 the grasp of what he has done for us, results in joy. We may not necessarily have the, the phrase of joy for it at the time, but there is joy when we receive life. There is joy when you start to live for the first time, when, you've, when you feel your sins being forgiven. I mean, that is joyful. And so we, we, we go to joy next because that is the result, that is the reaction to God's love, the joy. We, we see this in the, uh, the nativity scene, you know, you, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, you have uh, Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem, and you have the census, and you have the baby being born. And then in Luke chapter 8, to some shepherds that had no idea what was going on, they're just minding their own business about their regular night's work. And, and suddenly, there's an angel in their midst. And, and you know, the way that's written in scripture. I think a lot of times, you know, the, the Christmas cards always have the angels up in the air. It's like they were all sitting around the fire and all of a sudden there's one more person on the, around the fire with them who, who's brought some news. And then they share the news and then a whole host of angels erupts around them proclaiming the joy of God at the birth of his son. It's, it's a natural result. You know, even to people who don't know what's going on, like those shepherds, they are confronted with God's joy in that moment. And, and that's what I want to look at today is God's joy. A lot of times we focus on our joy. The joy that we experience when we receive Jesus. The joy we experience when we see somebody that we know and love and have prayed for receives Jesus and starts following him. That is, a, that is an awesome time, right? And we have a lot of joy in that. What's God's feelings about those things? What is, what is God's joy in those moments? And that's what I wanted to look at today. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, there are several parables that Jesus shares. And whether he shared them all at once or Luke just compiled them together, uh, we don't know. But he has several parables where he talks about the result of people, in essence, coming to know Jesus. We have the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We have the parable of two sons who um, one of them wants everything his father has uh, that, that's due to him. He wants it now. He goes off and he spends it all. And then he wakes up one day and realizes what a terrible mistake he has made and he goes back to his father. We call that story the prodigal son because he is the son that returned and his father receives him and throws a party. 
And so these three, these three parables, they all have the same basic thrust. What is God's reaction? What is His response when we repent, when we turn to Him? And, and we're told in, in Luke chapter 15, and we're just going to look at the first two today, they're, they're kind of dual uh, parables that operate as two witnesses, you might say. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. In, in verse 1, we're told that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Jesus, near him, to listen to him. So all these tax collectors and all these, and this is just a broad brush way of saying the people we don't like. These are the people that were not expected to go to synagogue. They weren't expected to show up at the temple. Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners is a real easy way of saying all the people who just aren't worth our time as religious folks. Okay? Back in, in, in the 1700s, the 1800s even, and even before that, in England, church was not considered something for everybody. Church was something considered for the betters. There were church-going people and there were not church-going people, even though the whole country was religious. But there were people that church was for and there was people that church wasn't for. And church wasn't for the people who dug out your night soil from your house. They, weren't, they didn't go to church. Church wasn't for the miners who got all dirty digging coal out of the ground for you so you could have a nice warm fire. Church wasn't for them. And so when people like uh, John Wesley and uh, others like him started preaching out in fields, that was a scandal because they were proclaiming the gospel to people who it wasn't for. Church wasn't for them. And, and tax collectors and sinners, in Jesus' time, you could say religion wasn't for them. They were so far gone, they were so far away that they weren't, they just, it wasn't their thing. They were sinners. I mean, can you imagine that's your title? That's your identification from the Pharisees and the, the priests and the Sadducees. You're just a sinner. But these tax collectors and these sinners were coming near to Jesus to hear him speak, to listen to him. And as they're coming, we're told in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, who you ate with was who you associated with. If you ate with somebody, you were acknowledging that you're, you had an association with them. So, for instance, Jewish people did not eat with Romans. They didn't want to have any association with them. This is why the woman at the well was surprised that Jesus said, would you give me something to drink? Because Jews didn't even drink out of a Samaritan well. Jews wouldn't eat off of a Samaritan plate. They didn't have any fellowship with them. They wouldn't go to their cities. So that entire story about him talking to a woman at a well and going into her village and staying in her village for a couple of days preaching, the whole thing is scandalous to the scribes and the Pharisees. They're grumbling. They're seeing what these people are doing, that they're coming to hear Jesus, and they're grumbling about it. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This, he is taking himself down to their level. He is dirtying himself with these people. He should have nothing to do with them, just like we have nothing to do with them. That, that's what they're communicating. In response, we're told in verse 3, so he told them this parable. 
saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture, the, the literally out in the wilderness? So we're not even talking about he's got ninety-nine, he's gotten them back to the pen and realizes one of them is missing. Well, these guys are safe. I'm going to go find him. No, he's saying, what man of you has 99 sheep? You're out in the wilderness. You've got your sheep out there, and you realize you've lost one of them. You've got them out there. You've got 100 sheep. You've got 99 out in the open pasture, out in the wilderness. One of them is missing, so you leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, which means you... You leave the rest of them and another one could go lost. You leave the rest of them and an animal could come and eat them. But you leave them because they're okay. And chances are most likely there were other shepherds around. You didn't do these things solo. But he leaves them to go find the one until he finds it, the one that is lost. We're told in verse 5, Jesus said when he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus is saying, Which man of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them, doesn't leave the other ninety-nine and go and find him? And when you find him, aren't you excited and you put him on your shoulders with joy and you go back to everybody else and you say to your neighbors and your friends, you say, Rejoice with me, look, I found the sheep that was lost. He says, that's a normal behavior. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You don't get excited and rejoice about the sheep that are still with you. You don't get excited and say, wow, look at that, these sheep are still here. No, but you get excited about the one you had to go find. You get excited about the one you had to search for, the one you had to rescue, and you bring it back and you tell everybody, how great is this? I found my sheep. He says in verse 8, or what woman? Not just men, but women too have these experiences and emotions. What if a woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully? Until she finds it. It's, it's never left her house, but she's lost it. And houses back then didn't have a whole lot. You know, interior lighting wasn't a big thing back then. Not a whole lot of daylight getting in either. So you would have to light a lamp. And you would have to search high and low for it. Most likely a whole lot of low searching. But you're searching for it until she finds it. And in verse 9, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. You know, we have those small little celebrations every now and then, don't you? You lose something and then you find it and you tell people about it. Now, you may not call all your neighbors over to your house and throw a party for it, but you tell people. You can't help, usually. Something has gone missing, you find it, you just have to tell somebody. It may be another day, but you'll say, you know what, I found this thing, it was great. It may be, a, you know, if it was a coin or a pair of earrings, the next time you get those earrings out, you could say, oh, you know what, a month ago I lost these, but I found them. You know, we, we celebrate when we find what was lost. And he says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what Jesus is trying to tell us through these two parables 
is, is the joy that we feel when we find things that we have lost. And that word lost, it, it has the idea of destroyed. You know, when you lose something, it's gone. It, it might as well not exist anymore for you. It's dead. It's, it's, it's obliterated. And when you find it again, that's like it came back to life. And, and that's what he's getting at here, is that when people who have gone astray repent, they're coming back to life. They're, they're alive again. They are with me again. You think you get excited about finding a sheep? You think you get excited about finding a coin? There is more joy. There is greater joy. There is so much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And, and so that, that is just something to just think about this. As, as much joy as you feel when, when you think about your own salvation, about the fact that you have been brought from uh, waywardness, that you have been brought onto the narrow path. Think of the joy you have when you think of somebody else that you know. Maybe you've prayed for, maybe you've uh, struggled with them, and they come to know the Lord. And that joy you have. That's not ours alone. What Jesus is saying here is that there is joy in heaven over our repentance too. There is joy in heaven over our repentance. That, that when we repent, when you did it, when somebody does it today, when somebody does it tomorrow, heaven rejoices. We see that when heaven rejoices, not only does heaven rejoice, but look and see how it goes about. He says in verse 6, uh, when, the, when the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. And, and what did Jesus say? I tell you that in the same way, in the same way that that shepherd calls his neighbors together, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the same way. So the picture I get of there is that God is like the shepherd, the one leading and saying, come, rejoice. The same thing happens, and, and remember, when things are repeated in the Bible, there, there's a truth to that. We're always supposed to say our yes is yes and our no is no. But when Jesus says truly, truly, when he repeats something and something is said twice, you bank on it. When something is said three times, that is wholly devoted to God, and that's why only the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A threefold blessing is powerful in Scripture. That is, that is holy and devoted to the Lord. So the fact that this parable has been repeated, Jesus is trying to say, bank on this. This is true. I am giving you two witnesses. He's not just saying truly, truly. He's saying here's an example and here's an example, and they both say the same thing. When the woman has lost her coin in verse 9, what does she do? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And what does Jesus say about that? In the same way, just like in verse 7, in the same way, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now when he's saying there's, presence, or there's joy in the presence of the angels, 
This is, this is kind of a, a there, there's a big fancy word like circum something rather, I, I, you know, locution or something. But it's the idea of, of by saying in the presence of the angels, we're talking about God. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about where the angels reside and who is in their presence. They are, and whose presence they are in might be the better way of saying it. So this is just another way of talking about in heaven. There is joy in the presence of the angels. But, you know, as, I, as I've thought about that, you know, there's, there's Isaiah 6 where we see G, uh, uh, God enthroned in the temple and all these angels flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But there's another passage in, in Revelation chapter 5. John writes and tells us in verse 11. He says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. Thousands of thousands. Now that, that word myriad uh, is a word that just means a larger number than we can count. Literally, it was 10,000. And that was, that was a number too big for them. You know, like when I was a kid, a million was a big number. A billion was a made-up number, except it wasn't. And thanks to our national debt, we're finding out even bigger numbers, aren't we? We're into the trillions. But when I was a kid, if you wanted to say something was really big, you would say something like a bazillion gazillion. And I looked it up. Gazillion is not a real number. Gazillion is an uncountable number. It is a word you use when you say there's just too many zeros. Too many zeros. You know, you go billion, trillion, quintillion or something like that, and I don't know, you know what, uh, what comes after that. I don't ever want to find out. But gazillion just means an astronomically crazy number. We just wanted to make up a word. That was 10,000 back in Jesus' time. Okay? In Jesus' time, they didn't have the concept of a million. A thousand was a big number, and 10,000 was a ridiculous number. So to say myriads meant I couldn't count them all. There were so many, it was like there was a bazillion, gazillion angels in heaven, man, is what he's saying. That's what he saw. That's what he heard, a voice of many angels. And then he looks, and there's myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they're in the presence of God. And God says, a sinner came to repentance. And they break out in cheers. The whole host rejoices because God rejoices. And God calls his neighbors and his friends, his angels, his servants. And he says, rejoice with me. Just like in the next chapter, in the next parable, the, the father of the prodigal son, he says, kill a calf, throw a party, we're celebrating tonight, my son is home. You know, doesn't say anything about inviting friends. It was probably all of his servants. We are celebrating. That is what is happening in, in heaven when we repent. When one sinner who has gone astray repents and comes back to the Lord, when he is found, God rejoices. And our joy, you know, think about all the joy you experience and you feel. Our joy does not compare to God's joy. It can't come close. Even if we all got excited about something, we're not myriads. We're not. 
myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands of angels are with God, and when He rejoices, they rejoice. And the joy in heaven is great over just one singular sinner. Imagine what the joy is when you start counting up how many sinners have repented. What the joy God must experience for each one. Our joy does not compare to God's joy. And I think sometimes we, we need to remember that. You know, that it's not just that God's sitting there giving us joy. He gives himself joy through these things. And that, that he is not sitting there angry and, and distraught and upset. Of, you know, maybe I should have preached on the next one too. It's not like when the, the prodigal son came back to the, the father, that the father said, you wasted all my money. What, what a, I mean, come on back, I love you, but I am so disappointed in you. No. And he didn't whitewash it either. He didn't say, don't worry about it, I'll redo the inheritance. No, when the brother grumbled, just like the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, when the brother grumbled, the father said, it's all yours. Everything I have is yours. Your brother blew it. He lost all of his money. He wasted his entire inheritance. Everything I have is yours now. But son, we got to celebrate your brother's home. He's alive. That is the joy God experiences. He's not sitting there saying, you've wasted your inheritance. He's not saying, you took so long to come back. You've been so boneheaded. You've been so stubborn. We say those things. He rejoices. He says, my little one that was lost has been found. My precious one that I have loved that was lost has been found. Our joy does not compare. His joy is great. And his joy is great over our repentance. And not only that, one of the things I see in this passage, back in, uh, where is my verse 5 here? Back in verse 5, you know, so he's talking about the shepherd and and. and when the shepherd goes out and he leaves the, the 99 and he goes and he finds the one that is lost, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He doesn't even wait till he gets back to his friends. You know, when you find something you've lost, don't you just have a little bit of rejoicing right in that moment? You're probably all by yourself when you find something you lost and it's such a, oh wow, and there's that immediate desire, depending on how important it was, to take that to somebody else and say, I found it. It can be a small thing. Like, you know, I wear contacts, and sometimes the contacts between uh, the container and my eye, they get lost. And I, I sometimes can find them before I give up and get a new one out. And it can be such a joy. Oh, look, and, and maybe I don't go invite the whole house down and say, let's have a party, I found my contact. But, you know, if, if Amy comes in right around that time, I might say, hey, I found my contact. You know, I lost it. There's still a little bit of joy there. Just over the most trivial things. If we feel joy in those most trivial things, how much greater is God's joy? But not only that, his joy begins at the very beginning. Before the other people around, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders Rejoicing. While he's doing it, he is happy. He is rejoicing. I have found him. 
I think one of the things that that shows is how God delights in his work of redemption. That, that God's joy is not just in the result, but in the action. You ever lose something, and you got to understand, in my family, you know, the men of the house are kind of supposed to find things. This wasn't just, my dad was always the great finder of things when I was growing up. If my mom lost something, if one of the kids lost something, we would look, and if we couldn't find it, you called in the big guns, dad. And he would look. And our, our looking for things is so extreme in the Cecil family that we look for things that aren't lost. So every time we go and stay in a hotel, one of the things I do before I can safely leave a hotel room is I scour that room and I look in drawers I never opened just to make sure I'm not losing anything and leaving it there. We, we check our rooms before we leave. Don't feel natural unless I do it. And in our house, if I hear something has been lost... Well, I'll just let it go a little while. Let those, those amateurs see what they can do. But after a while, then I get thinking, okay, i got to show people what I can do. You know? And I'll go looking. And there's a certain amount of joy in looking for the lost thing. There is joy in where will I find it? Where could it be? You know, you're using your brain trying to think, oh, how did it get lost? Where was it last? It doesn't always work. I'm not shooting 100 for 100 now. Some things get lost beyond our capability. But you still enjoy doing it. You still have the joy of... Sometimes you're frustrated. Don't get me wrong. I understand. We're frustrated. Something's lost. I wish I could find it. But there's also a certain amount of joy. There's the joy of experiencing where will it be? Who's going to find it first? You know, when you solve a problem like, well, what did you do with it last? And you start piecing it together and you find those keys in the freezer. It's a great feeling, isn't it? It's awesome. You put it together. And that's what I think we see here. When he finds the sheep, he rejoices. I think that's what we see in that picture in Luke chapter 2. When the, when the, the angels come to the shepherds, I think when, when they start proclaiming this is the great thing that has happened. And then suddenly there appeared the, uh, the, the multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill among men who, of whom he is pleased. We're seeing God delighting in his work of redemption. That This isn't the beginning, or, or this isn't the, the, the fulfillment. This is just one step. Okay, The virgin became pregnant. She has given birth. It is on. The Savior is alive and breathing on his own. The king is born. We have to celebrate. And so the angels find people who aren't looking for it, and they celebrate. And those people, they say, wow, we got to see if this is true. Let's go and find out. So they run to Bethlehem to celebrate. And they tell everybody they see what great things they have seen. And then things get real quiet for a long time, don't they? And then Jesus is on his ministry again. And what happens? He's baptized and he comes out and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And a voice says, this is my son in who I am well. Please, God is rejoicing. He is taking joy in what's happening. Jesus has been baptized. He is starting his ministry. He is on his way. Several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is proclaiming his, his, his love for the Father and his joy in the Father. And his Father even will proclaim his joy in him. You know 
he is excited about the work he is doing. Yeah, he knows Jesus is going to the cross. Nobody is thrilled with the idea that Jesus has to die, but they're excited about what is going to happen because of it. He's excited about seeing Jesus' obedience in that. And the day comes when Jesus dies on the cross and the sky goes dark like night. And then three days later, before the sun rises, the sun rises. The true sun rises before the dawn. And angels are there. And they can't help but share with the people who show up. The ladies first and then the disciples come. And they rejoice. God takes joy in his work of redemption. He is he takes joy in looking for us and finding us and bringing us home. It's not just in the result, but all through we see His joy. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel that joy when I'm in the work of redemption. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get frustrated and, and we get impatient. Sometimes if we're the one that's being redeemed, we backslide. We struggle with it. But God, He is confident in His work. And he, is, he takes great joy in it. And His joy is greater than anything we experience or feel. And I, I wish I could communicate it as fully as I can feel it. How great God's joy is in your life today. For your faithfulness, for your yielding yourself to Him, to walk with Him, gives him great joy. And that joy fills heaven. And, and I, I want to invite us as, as we come to our close this morning in this message, I want to invite us and invite you specifically to join in God's joy. To make God's joy yours today. That, that may be by believing in Jesus Christ, by confessing your sins and repenting. To, to feel the, the release from your sin, from your shackles of death. And to know that when you do that, the angels are rejoicing. That God is rejoicing. That all around you will be rejoicing. What a great thing. I want to encourage us too, if we've been a believer and we walk with Him, join God in His celebration. Join with Him in the joy of those who come to faith. Join with Him in the joy of the process and the work of redemption that sometimes doesn't play out the way we want it to. Sometimes it doesn't give us the result we were looking for, but it's the work that He is about of trying to bring people to repentance and redeem them. We can oftentimes become like the Pharisees and the scribes and we can grumble. Oh man, look at these people. They're not, they don't even carry a Bible. They just use their phone. They don't, they don't know, they don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. Oh, look at these people. They didn't even grow up. They don't even know all the Bible stories. Oh, they just don't even know how the right way to behave. Oh, they're so, why do they have to come here? I, they need to go somewhere else where they do those things. Anybody ever found yourself grumbling when we should be rejoicing? 
and excited about who God is bringing, that he has found his lost child, he has found his precious coin. I want to encourage us, if we are believers today, let's not grumble. Let's join and rejoice with God about what he is doing. And if you look around and you don't see much to rejoice about, ask him to give you eyes to see. Because God is doing great things in our midst. And he's doing great things in the world today. We need to ask him to give us eyes to see that we might delight in what he is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the reminder and the message of the joy that you have over your lost children. The joy you have when we repent and turn to you. The greater joy that you have in people who repent than those who have nothing to repent of, that think they are perfect. Lord, as we, as we come before you, we do ask you to, give you to give us eyes to see that we would see the work you've done in our lives, that we would see the work you are doing in the world that you are still doing today. Lord, give us eyes to see that we might see Jesus as our Savior, that we might see the sins that are in our lives and turn to him and ask for forgiveness. Help us to see, Lord, the, the good things. Yeah, some people that we didn't expect might be coming to faith. They might act a little differently. They might talk differently and they might not know all the right secret handshakes. Lord, help us to look beyond all those things and instead to look at the good that they know Jesus, that they are growing in Him. Help us to rejoice with You. We thank You, Father, for the joy You give us. We thank You that that we can't match, just like we can't match Your love, we can't match Your forgiveness, we can't uh, match You're rejoicing. Father, I pray today we would feel your joy, that we would recognize it in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And Lord, that we would join you in it. We ask and pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.